The good news is that you don't need to sit down and read the Bible from cover to cover in one massive chunk. All you need to do is read it one bit at a time. G'day everyone, my name is Mark Schroeder and welcome to Schroeder's Bible Bits. I'm a college chaplain and my job is to teach children and youth the wonderful truths that are found in God's Word, the Bible. I speak at chapels, at youth services, at church services, I teach at kids clubs and lunchtime Bible groups. Uh, At all of these places, I always teach from the Bible because I'm convinced that from the Bible, we get to learn about God and how He has loved us and how He has saved us through Jesus. Tune in and continue to learn about Jesus for yourself, not in one chunk, but bit by bit. G'day everyone, welcome back to Schroeder's Bible Bits. Uh, Here's another Bible talk for you from Genesis, uh, and it's called Hope in the Sun, and it's from Genesis chapter 4. Although we meet two sons in Genesis chapter 4, we quickly discover that these are not the sons that we're looking for, uh, but of course the son that we're looking for is Jesus. Uh, This talk is to a group of year 7 students at chapel, uh, and there's a fair amount of conversation and discussion that I have with them, so I apologise just for the silent bits uh, in this Bible talk for you, uh, just as I give them time to talk amongst themselves before I continue on with the Bible talk. And nevertheless, I hope you find some encouragement from this Bible talk as you consider putting your hope in Jesus, who is the Son who came to save. Okay, so welcome to chapel. Uh, we've been looking at the book of what at the moment? Genesis. Well done. We've been looking at the book of Genesis. Um, as far as the number book, which number book is this in the Bible? One. Book number one. How many books are there in the Bible? 66. This is the very first one. And remember, Genesis means... Beginning, very good. And so this is the beginning of all kinds of things. Everything from the world, everything from even the beginning of sin, everything, especially the beginning even of the salvation story of the Bible. And we discover as well in this book called Genesis that the beginning is all because God was there in the beginning. He was always there, always was, always will be. This is a great big book Um, and particularly as we think about Genesis, we've been saying that this is the beginning of hope, the Genesis of hope because here in this story we should be reminded about Jesus who is the Saviour who comes to save the world from from sin. Well done. Um, So as we start chapel this morning, uh, let's bow our heads, uh, let's pray and let's ask God to help us to think carefully about our morning. Hold that thought. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd help us have a really good morning right now. Help us to engage with one another and with your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so let's continue. Um, In Genesis, let's think about what's happened so far. Uh, And to help you think about what's happened so far in Genesis, in our story, like the the, the story that we've been following in chapel, um, I've got four pictures here for you. So use these four pictures to tell the person next to you what is the story of Genesis that we have covered so far in chapel. And I'll get your feedback in a moment. Go.
Last 10 seconds. <coughs> okay, um, stop your conversations. Um, let's go. So the very first, well, which, which picture do you start with? Hands up. Which picture do you start with? Um, yeah, go. Which one? Okay, so the dark circle picture. And so what do we say about that dark circle picture at the top left? Who's, gonna, who's got something to say? How does this story start? Yeah. Yes, we could say that, but something else we could say, I think that picture refers to something particularly in Genesis chapter 1, yeah. Very good. So in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, we discover that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but before God created the heavens and the earth, everything was dark, it was void, it was empty, there was nothing before God stepped in to start creation. Which picture do we go to next? Which picture do we go to next? Yeah. Yeah, cool. So the one over on the top right. Um, and so what do we say about that picture? So the world started by God, but before that it was dark and void and empty. And then we say? Very good. God created everything, starting with light and darkness and moving right through to the pinnacle of creation, which was who? Which was what? Or, or just generally speaking? Mankind, very good. And so therefore, the third picture that we're going to look at here on the screen is which one? Which one? Yeah. Yeah, so the one of the people holding hands there. Um, and so we know that that's Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve were made in God's image to rule over all things. They had all freedom, didn't they? To enjoy God's good creation, very good creation. But equally so, while they had freedom to live... We also discovered that they had freedom to choose the wrong thing, didn't they? And they had the freedom, therefore, not just to live, but also to, to die. Uh, and so here's the beginning of this story. God has created all things when before all things there was nothing and the pinnacle of creation are humans and humans get to rule under God over all things and enjoy a very good life. However, is that the end of the story? No. So we then go to that last picture, which is the serpent that's coiled around a piece of fruit and it's got a big bite in it. So what's that talking about? What's that referring to in the story of Genesis? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So when Adam and Eve decided to disregard God's word and they took the fruit that God said, don't eat, and they ate it, didn't they? And the curse came. Do you remember how tragic the curse was? Everything that was good and ordered is switched around and flipped upside down. And we see everything just get ugly. Everything's terrible. And in the end, eventually, they will return to the dust of the earth. They will die. What a tragic story. But even though we've got this tragic story of the consequence of sin, the consequence of people disregarding God's word, we see that there is a glimmer of hope in this story. And it is right in the middle of the actual curse where God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That's in verse 15 of chapter 3. The word enmity, does anyone know what enmity means? It's a weird word that means there's going to be discord and disharmony and they're going to be against each other all the time. Okay, um, And God says to the serpent, part of his curse 
is that somebody's going to come up and they're going to be against the serpent. They're going to rise up against the serpent. And in fact, in fact, they're going to crush the serpent's head. But do you notice who is going to rise up? What does it say there in verse 15? Who is it that's going to rise up? It doesn't say a name. There's your hint. It doesn't say a name. So you shouldn't tell me that it's a name, but you can describe to me what kind of person this is going to be. It's going to be a... Nope. It's going to be, it's sort of, it's going to be, no, what's it say on the screen? Look at the screen, yeah? It's going to be, not God's son, it says there is going to be one of Eve's offspring, isn't it? There's going to be a son. We don't know yet that it's going to be God's son, does it? Do we? Although we already know a little bit of extra information, don't we, year seven? So here it says in verse 15 that there's going to be an offspring that's going to rise up and going to smash the wicked serpent. If you're a reader of this story, this should excite us, shouldn't it? We're like, well, I've got to turn the page. I've got to read the next chapter and see if this is the one to come. Now, I wonder, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a car that's broken down before? Hand up if that's been you before. You've been in a car that's broken down. And leave your hand up if you've ever had to call the NRMA. Yeah, the roadside assistance guys. Cool. And if you've done that before, you know that often it takes a very, very long time for the NRMA roadside assistance people to rock up, right? And you're sitting there on the side of the road and you're on your phone or you're just looking out the window and watching all the other cars drive past. And then all of a sudden, maybe you've experienced this, while you're sitting there in your car waiting for the roadside assistance to come, you see on the horizon an NRMA van and it starts getting closer and closer and you're like, NRMA is coming. We're going to be able to get going again. They're going to fix our car and we can keep on driving. You're like, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. And they keep on driving past you. And they disappear and they're gone. And you go, oh no, that was an NRMA car, but it wasn't the one that we were waiting for. It's not the right one. And then eventually though, the right NRMA car does come, doesn't it? And you're like, oh, finally, this is actually the NRMA van that we needed. Has anyone ever experienced that before? Yeah, it's pretty frustrating, isn't it? I sort of feel like as we read on in this story in Genesis, we sort of have that moment because we turn the page in the Bible and we're looking to see who is the son that's going to rise up and crush this wicked serpent. And so let's have a look and see, is this the son that we should expect? Is it one of Eve's sons? And this is what the story says. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Adam made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Can you give me a whoop woo? Right, whoop woo. So here's this moment um, that Adam and Eve, they get to continue in love because God has allowed it. And isn't it cool that... Uh, they get to continue on in God's world and rule over it. I've had a technical glitch here, haven't I? And they get to have some kids. Tell the person next to you, what are the boys' names? What are these boys' names? And also, what do the boys do?
All right, so what are their names? Who can we, give me one name, yes? Cain, and the other one's name is? Abel. And what do they do? What sort of job do these guys have? Yeah. They are farmers, but they're not both the same farmers. One is a what kind of farmer? Yes, so a, a shepherd or, or a, an animal farmer at least. And the other one is a? Yeah, a farmer who looks after the stock. So produces produce from the ground. And so that's what it says here, isn't it? Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. This is really cool. Adam, he was given, remember, a curse that his work would be hard. But actually, we can see here that even though work is hard, work continues. There is still blessing in creation, even though sin is very present. And so here's Cain and Abel, and they are working the soil. They're continuing in this garden work, sort of like their dad. But verse 3, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. You see, when we see here that something's going on where the boys bring something to God. It's called an offering. It could be that this is like a sin offering, so that they've done the wrong thing, and so they bring an offering to God so that God would overlook their sin. Or it could just be an offering that they're like, God, you are so great. Here's something that lets me show you how much I think you're great. The thing is, these guys, they bring their offerings, and how does God feel about the offerings? One he likes, and the other one, not so much. You might have experienced that same sort of thing before at Christmas time. You open up some presents. And when you open up one present, there, you open it up and it is a packet of undies. And you're like, oh, undies. But then you open up another one and in it is like a wonderful piece of shiny technology. A brand new iPhone or something like that. And you're like, wow, this is fantastic. One is clearly your favourite and the other one is not. Well, it seems as though here that God looks at these two offerings and he prefers one over the other. Why does he prefer one more than the other? Can you see on the screen why? What is it about these offerings that's different? Does anyone have a suggestion? Yeah. So maybe it's because one actually requires like a death of something and the other one's just you're pulling up a plant. Maybe it could be that. I think there's something more though, yeah? Um, Yeah. Ah, very good. So we see here that there's the distinction between the two that Abel brought an offering and he brought the fat portions of some of the firstborn of his flock. This is like the best bits of his flock, right? It's not like the scrawny, sick sheep out in this paddock. He's gone out and he's found the very best one that he's got and he's brought that one to God. Whereas his brother Cain, he goes out in the field and he just grabs some of his produce, doesn't he? It doesn't look like he has brought the very best. And so God has a favourite offering. Now as a result of this, how does Cain feel about it? He's very, very... Angry, very, very sad, very, very jealous. Anything else you want to say? He's downcast, right? He doesn't feel very good about this. Now, what's really cool, though, is that what God does next. 
God, God could just let him mope around in his sadness, right? Mope around in his mistake. But look at what God says. God actually talks to Cain and he coaches him through this moment. And he says, Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, desires to have you, but you must rule over it. He said, and I think it's really neat that God actually steps in here to try and help this son of Eve, to try and help Cain to do what is right, to rule over the sin, to not let sin rule over him. God is loving, isn't he? And we know that ourselves as well, don't we? That God just doesn't leave us in our sin, but God leads us to the way out of sin. And we know that because he sent Jesus for us. See, the challenge here for Cain, God says, do what is right and you will be accepted. But does he do what is right? No. Sadly, sin is crouching at his door and rather than him be aware of it and do something about it and chain the beast that's crouching, he just lets it go, doesn't he? He allows it to pounce on him. And so verse 8, it says, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out in the field. He didn't really say why, does he? He deceives his brother. Oh, here's this deception again. This reminds me of the deception in the garden earlier on. Does it remind you of that? Let's go out in the field. Let's go and hang out together, maybe, he might have said. And then while they're out in the field, Cain attacks his brother Abel and he kills him. But what's bad as well about that is that when God asks him about it, what does he say? He gives him a massive lie, doesn't he? Wow, this guy has lied to the very face of God. He lies to God and says, I don't know. And then he gives God a bit of sass, doesn't he? Am I my brother's keeper? It's not my problem that he's not around. And so God, he says, what have you done? Listen, the brother's blood cries out to me from the ground and now you are under a curse and you're driven out from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. See, Cain is sent out. He gets a punishment and you notice it's sort of like the one that his dad got, isn't it? But it's worse. The ground isn't going to produce any more for him at all. And so Cain goes out. But nevertheless, look at what God does for him in verse 15. In verse 13, Cain says, Today you will drive me out from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. He's really worried about what's going to happen. But then God says in verse 15, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And so the Lord put a mark on Cain to protect him so that no one who found him will kill him. See, even in the midst of sin and curse, God's still merciful, isn't he? But let's think about the big idea of this Bible talk for today. Remember, we're wondering and hoping about who is going to be the serpent-crushing saviour. And remember in chapter 3, verse 15, it says that it was going to be a son of Eve. Is it a son of Eve yet? This is like that NRMA van moment, isn't it? We're sitting there and we're waiting and we're waiting and waiting and along comes the sun. Is it the sun? No, it's not. It's not the sun that we want. This is not the sun. These are not the suns that we're looking for. But the thing is, do we know who the sun is? 
We do, don't we? You see, we discover in the rest of the Bible that there is a son that comes. And we know that from John 3.16, don't we? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And Jesus comes and he rules over sin. Jesus doesn't sin, although he was tempted. We also discover that Jesus is the perfect and pleasing sacrifice. The one that pleases God. And finally then, that God, Jesus is the one who actually crushes sin and defeats sin completely and sin is done with. And so that means, guess who's crushed? The serpent. You seven, Jesus is the son that we're looking for. But actually, Jesus is the son that you and I, we need. This is the one that we've been waiting for. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the one that comes, is, gives us the way so that we can go to the Father. So I wonder, do you know that Jesus is the son that you need? Do you know that Jesus is the one son, only son, who takes away the sin of the world? And have you put your hope in him? Because no matter what you do today, if you accept Jesus as the son who takes away the sin of the world, the Bible promises that you will be saved from your sin and you will find mercy in God and his son Jesus. That's a pretty good thing to put your hope in, I reckon. And I hope that's something you might think about today. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can get in contact with me via Twitter at MRKSchroeder or on the Anchor app, you can actually leave a voice message. I'd love you to do that and I might include it in the next podcast. Catch you later.